to the International Brotherhood of Freemasons podcast, a Masonic podcast that brings you education pieces from a wide array of authors throughout the English, Spanish, and French-speaking regions of the world. International Brotherhood of Freemasons, in no way, reflects the views of any Masonic Lodge or Grand Lodge and is the sole opinion of the person expressing it. And now, your host, Brother Paul Haynes. For today's episode, we have a very interesting piece entitled The History of Freemasonry in China. It was originally written in Spanish. The source was laplazuela.net, and the author was Julio Martinez. It was a little bit challenging to translate because it was very well written and uses a lot of a very academic language, but I, I think it's a very good piece, very interesting. Uh, I learned a lot from reading it. It also gives a, a slightly different perspective, just considering that it was written by a Spanish author about Chinese Freemasonry. And you'll probably notice that he doesn't really pull any punches when he talks about uh, colonization and the attitude of, of the West towards Asia and other parts of the world and the prejudices that uh, existed at that time. If you're a sponsor or producer of this show, which means that you have contributed either a dollar a month, $12 a year to be a sponsor, or $5 a month, or $60 a year to be a producer, I encourage you to follow the link that you were sent because uh, not only can you look at the the original piece, but also there's some interesting pictures. There's pictures of a uh, Freemason sign outside of a Chinese lodge building. And also there's an, an article, a picture of an article included here that is uh, anti-Masonic and it, it has to do with the reaction of the Chinese government to our fraternity. The History of Freemasonry in China. The Masonic evolution in China is well worth a reference. And the more complete it is, the better. It is a reality that from the beginning, it has been closely linked to the European cosmogony. More specifically, it has been linked to a series of processes related to modernization, the Enlightenment, and above all, imperialism emanating from the old world. The arrival of modernity in China coincided with the emergence of the British Empire as a world hegemonic power. The Enlightenment, above all, the Industrial Revolution, led it to construct around itself a new global order. But what did the fraternity illustrate in this process? Freemasonry, thanks to its socially inclusive role and bent towards collective identity, constituted an ideal place for the promotion and strengthening of the imperial project. The lodges were also reproduced as products of the prevailing global order, since they incorporated and legitimized their norms and hegemonic ideologies in their value systems. Integrating overseas the different imperial networks, whether commercial, diplomatic, military, or missionary. In fact, the first Masonic headquarters that was established in China was in the port city of Canton in 1767. 
It appeared in the hands of members of the British East Indies Trading Company. It was given the name Amity and was sponsored by the United Grand Lodge of England. From this moment on, and in spite of the fact that imperialism intensified, lodges were founded, made up of, at its core, a large number of Europeans who were the majority. And then later on, since the last decade of the 19th century, Chinese members as well. So since the second half of the 18th century, workshops have been established by English, Swedish, and even Dutch citizens. But it was not until the 19th century that additional lodges could be found in China. The historian Ricardo Martinez Esquivel divides this century into four periods. The first would be comprised between 1844 and 1849, during which the movement within a country began to stabilize. The first Masonic constitutions were promulgated in order to institutionalize the administrative structure of Freemasonry. During this process, the participants were exclusively European. In fact, the King government had banned the entry of Chinese into the Brotherhood. The second of these periods took place between 1864 and 1874. This stage coincided with the founding of lodges beyond Hong Kong and Shanghai, and with the arrival of the first American and French workshops. In addition, throughout the second phase, internal debates on the possibility of allowing non-European citizens entry into the lodges began. In spite of this, the Chinese imperial ban on entry into Freemasonry continued to be enforced. This regulation was not an impediment for the geographical expansion of the Brotherhood, however. During the third period, which lasted between 1877 and 1883, a greater ethnic and phenotypic diversity could be observed within the Chinese Masonic headquarters. In fact, it was during this time that the first Chinese nationals were initiated into lodges. When initiation into Freemasonry was first allowed for people from Asia, the Freemasons, due to their entry requirements, opted for the societal elites, individuals who most resembled Westerners. Also, there was greater social involvement around the lodges. Its members of European origin were afforded in Freemasonry scholarships for their sons and daughters' education, help in funeral services, religious activities, national celebrations and leisure, library, billiard room, rowing club, and game rooms, and even economic support. Finally, starting in the later part of the 19th century, between 1897 and 1905, there was an increase in fraternal groups of American origin. But above all, this period was marked by the reform movement. Based on a desperate attempt by Emperor Gang Shu to reclaim a series of designs proposed since the 1860s. In fact, many of those initiated into the fraternity were, in fact, interested in these plans. 
The golden age of the Order of China, however, was short-lived. After the creation of the People's Republic in 1949, the Communist Party began a campaign to eliminate the Weidaumen. These were denounced as a collection of diverse organizations that the CCP identified with its ideological enemy, accusing them of being the meeting place of subversive groups. Among the components of the Weidaumen were secret societies as well as millenarian salvationist or messianic groups and also freemasonry the authorities considered all of them reactionary and anti-revolutionary in fact on january 4th 1949 when the people's republic had not yet been established the cpc government in the north of the country banned all the organizations it perceived to resemble the aforementioned groups and for this, he used the following arguments. The Weeman and Dowman are not only feudal, superstitious organizations, they are also frequently controlled by the reactionaries to carry out various anti-revolutionary activities. During the previous war of resistance against Japan and the current war of liberation, they caused great damage. For example, spying for enemies and collecting information from military intelligence, spreading rumors, confusing people, and even provoking armed uprisings. They really upset the social order. From today, all women and Dalman will be dissolved and their activities will not be allowed. In fact, this repression was very successful and many of the organizations that were classified as Weedalman faded into history. It is true that to this day, the same prohibition remains, but after the Cultural Revolution, a certain amount of room was granted to this type of groups as well as to Freemasonry. There is a certain tolerance towards the development of Masonic activities and practices in the more cosmopolitan port cities such as Shanghai or Hong Kong, confirms Ricardo Martinez Esquivel to La Plazuela. Uh, before reading this text, I'd never heard of uh, these groups or that were mentioned, Weeman and Dalman and the uh, combined term Weedalman. So I looked up some information and I found a book called Chinese Religiosities, Afflictions of Modernity and State Formation. And it describes, uh, it uses this as kind of like a blanket term for any organization that the uh, Chinese government deems is counter-revolutionary or superstitious or any type of organization that goes against their political agenda. I hope you enjoyed this piece. I thought it gave a real global perspective on Freemasonry and really drives home the point that Freemasonry is for all men, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, or creed. 
This last piece is entitled The History of the Grand Lodge of China. I found it on the website grandlodge-china.org, and the author is unknown. Masonry first saw light in China, in the province of Guangzhou during the late 1700s, with the establishment of Amity Lodge Number 407 under the jurisdiction of the Grand Lodge of England in 1767 and met regularly for 46 years until going into darkness in 1813, when for some unknown reason its charter was not renewed when the two Grand English Lodges united in London. Upon the departure of Brother R. F. Gould from China in 1886, he says that there were in existence at Victoria and Hong Kong, and in the Chinese treaty ports, 13 English lodges, 14 Scottish lodges, one American lodge, and one Irish lodge. It should be mentioned that the membership of foregoing lodges in China had been mainly confined to specific foreign nationals by the Manchu government and succeeding governments, and it was not until 1930 when a group of American and Chinese master masons, all of whom had been raised abroad, decided to form a lodge in Shanghai for the purpose of bringing Freemasonry to Chinese aspirants. Charter members of the first Chinese lodge included brothers George A. Fitch, later Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of China in Taiwan. Judge N. F. Allman, Alfred T. C. Cao, Mei Hua Chuang, I. J. Rawson, and James L. E. Chow, all of whom had been members of lodges in the USA, with the exception of Brother Chow, who was raised in an English lodge in Jamaica. The group first petitioned the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts for a dispensation, but this was denied. They were They then successfully applied to the Grand Lodge of the Philippines, who looked upon their request favorably and granted a dispensation. The new Lodge 106 was chartered on the 27th of January, 1931, at Peking, and by coincidence, also named Amity Lodge, as had been the first Masonic Lodge in China nearly 200 years earlier. The creation of Amity Lodge No. 106 was followed by the creation of Nanking Lodge No. 108, Pearl River Lodge No. 109 in Canton, Sichuan Lodge No. 112 in Qingdu, West Lake Lodge No. 113 in Hanzhou, and Sun Lodge No. 114 in Shanghai. During the Japanese invasion of China, and for the duration of the Second World War, a small but courageous group of master masons of many nationalities gathered together in the unconquered free Chinese town of Chongqing in the province of Sichuan and initially formed a square and compasses club. By early 1943, the square and compasses club had, despite the many hardships of a town under constant aerial bombardment, developed a nucleus of brothers who felt the need to establish a recognized lodge. A dispensation to form a lodge was submitted to the Grand Lodge of California 
who in due course granted this and Fortitude Lodge under dispensation was established during 1943. Fortitude Lodge was indeed an appropriate name as the lodge met regularly despite the inclement weather, unceasing air raids, and almost every conceivable difficulty. In 1945, with the cessation of hostilities, the personnel were dispersed and inevitably this led to the closure of the lodge. Therefore, its dispensation was returned to the Grand Lodge of California. It is interesting to note that Fortitude Lodge, in its somewhat brief existence, was to provide in the future four Grand Masters for the Grand Lodge of China. Worshipful Master Brothers William H.T. Wei, Ting Chien, Theodore L. Wei, and George W. Chin. With the return of the brethren to their respective abodes, Masonic activity was resumed throughout China. The six lodges which were chartered under the Grand Lodge of the Philippines held discussions concerning the future of Freemasonry in China, and it was proposed that a Grand Lodge of China should be established. These labors came to fruition on 18th of March, 1949, when the Grand Lodge of China was consecrated at the Masonic Hall in Shanghai. The six lodges were transferred and rechartered with their original names, but were renumbered as following. Amity Lodge No. 1, Nanking Lodge No. 2, Pearl River Lodge No. 3, Sheshuan Lodge No. 4, West Lake Lodge No. 5, Sun Lodge No. 6. Unfortunately, Within a short time, great problems were to beset the newly established Grand Lodge when the communist government came to power, and by 1951, the Grand Lodge of China had ceased to function in Shanghai. And the second Grand Master, Most Worshipful Brother T.F. Wei, decided to declare darkness had fallen upon the Grand Lodge of China. The Grand Lodge was then temporarily moved to Hong Kong, with little more than a few files, through the effort of the first Grand Master, Most Worshipful Brother David K. Ao, the Grand Lodge Regalia was also transferred. Following the fall of the mainland China to communism, a number of Chinese and other nationalities followed the government of the Republic of China to Taiwan. Early in 1951, those brethren discussed the formation of a Square and Compasses Club. Brother Oliver Todd, past senior warden of the International Lodge in Peking, was elected as president. Such was the success of the first club in Taipei that later Square and Compasses were formed in, in Taiwan in 1956 and Taichung in 1965. Back in 1951, a petition was submitted to the Grand Lodge of China in Hong Kong for the creation of a new lodge, appropriately named Liberty Lodge. In August 1952, Most Worshipful Brother T.F. Wei traveled from Hong Kong with an escort of several brethren and duly consecrated the Liberty Lodge No. 7 in 1953. After several difficulties to obtain permission to conduct Masonic business from the authorities, Brother T.T. T. Tuong was, has the honor 
of being the first Mason ever to be raised in Taiwan. The Grand Lodge of China was reactivated in Taiwan in 1955, as was Amity Lodge No. 1 in the same year, followed by Pearl Lodge No. 3 at Tainan in 1956, Sun Lodge No. 6 at Taipei in 1956, and also Sichuan Lodge No. 4 in Taichung in 1957. In 1961, the Deputy Grand Master George W. Chen accepted the position of chairman of a committee to translate the Masonic ritual and monitor into the Chinese language. Without further delay, and not knowing that it would be a decade of hard labors before the task was completed, the Brethren of Han Lodge applied for a dispensation in 1971, Han Lodge Number 8, was granted its charter on the 28th of October, 1972, and has the distinction of being the first lodge to conduct its entire business in the Chinese language. In the eve of Christmas, 1985, Tang Lodge Number no. 9 was chartered. In 1997, Harmony Lodge Number no. 10 was chartered in Taipei and was followed three years later by High Sung Lodge number 11, chartered in Taipei County. I find our Chinese brethren to be such an inspiration, all that they've had to go through to uh, keep Freemasonry going in China. First, they weren't even welcome in the first lodges that were established in, in China, which were open exclusively to people of European descent. Then they had to deal with uh, war, uh, aerial bombardments during the war. They persevered and kept going in spite of all their hardships. Even when they were vehemently opposed by their own government, they found such value in the teachings of Freemasonry and in practicing those teachings that they were willing to endure such hardship and continue to, to meet in their lodges. And uh, even uh, others who were even more outstanding, who took risks to preserve their Masonic regalia and who made great sacrifices to translate the rituals into their own language. Thanks again for listening. Special thanks goes to Daniel Haynes for the intro and Ryan K. Haynes for providing soundtracks for this episode. You can find more information about Ryan K. Haynes and his music at ReverbNation.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, and Podbean. You can also find International Brotherhood of Freemasons podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and at IBFpodcast.com, where you can support the show by clicking on either the Patreon button or the DonorBox.org button. Anyone who donates at least a dollar a month or makes a one-time donation of $12 will get access to original articles, their translations, pictures, and hyperlinks. If you're able to make a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time donation of $60, you will receive a producer's packet in the mail as well. Please send in any comments or questions to podcastibf at gmail.com. Be sure to look for next month's episode wherever you heard today's episode. 
Until then, remember how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony.